Hello everyone, Edward Norton here, this is Beyond the Stream. Joining me today, we have Peter Dennehy, Principal Product Consultant and Senior Leader specializing in mobile-focused business. Peter has grown two businesses to 1 million subscribers, Etty Salat and Stars Play. He's built successful teams in the Middle East and even developed the adult entertainment industry for Virgin Media here in the UK. You can find this podcast on our website, simplestream.com, as well as on your favorite platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. If you enjoy the show, leave us a review or join the conversation and leave a comment on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can find Simplestream and Beyond the Stream there too. Now let's head into conversation with Peter Denhey. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Yes, nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you too. Um, So the aim of our chat today is we're looking to provide our listeners with an answer to quite a difficult question, actually, which is where should a content provider start to build the user experiences of tomorrow? Big question, Ed. If I knew the answer to that one entirely, I'd be a very, very wealthy man. Um, There are many, many platforms these days, Ed. Um, There's been a great rush over the last number of years to, to get content online. All the traditional broadcasters, for example, have jumped into the OTT bed, so to speak, and they've all, uh, and initially, I guess they use those OTT platforms as complementary services to the traditional linear and on-demand services. But there's been, I would say, a violent shift in many ways towards OTT-centric or OTT-dominant um, offerings by, by the traditional broadcasters and or the content providers. But I guess, and we'll talk about this later, Ed, there's a little bit of a mess in the market now, a little bit of a, of course, the the watchword is competition, but we'll talk about that later. What's the current state of play? The current state of play, Ed, is there's a plethora of of minute uh, OTT providers. Every traditional broadcaster has, at this stage in 2023, put forward an OTT offering. Um, and again, to a greater or less degree, they have been successful. That's the landscape as is, Ed, to be honest. Um, but that brings about wonderful, wonderful challenges for people like me who are either deeply, deeply involved in the OTT space or providing consultancy from the periphery. That's an interesting overview of the current landscape. You mentioned the fact that every local broadcaster is looking at an OTT proposition. And that's really where your story began, isn't it? Um, albeit in a different niche of the entertainment market. Sure. Ed, it's probably a, a sentence I never thought I'd have on my CV or a podcaster like you saying to me, but it's a wonderful uh, invitation. I did. I'm very proud of the time in the mid-2000s, 2005, 2006. There was a growing segment for Virgin Media in the UK. This was following the acquisition of NTL, Telewest, all the, the more regional telco providers back in the UK at that time, absorbed under the brand Virgin Media at that time. Sure, adult entertainment, yes, exactly the, the playboys of this world, the Triple X, the TV, the Nightlies, all the all the sub-brands in the adult entertainment. Uh, never thought I'd be on a podcast with a Welshman, as an Irishman myself, discussing uh, adult entertainment. But yes, back then, a bit like now, we deliver what customers want want to watch. A little humorous side point, of course, is we were dealing with, at that time, the mass ingestion of VHS tapes that were sent into us by a whole plethora of people throughout the United Kingdom, 
plus obviously we had significant suppliers in in the uh, in, in in the adult entertainment space what's my interest in it purely commercial um, I was the manager at the time, product manager responsible for monetizing adult entertainment, a growing segment, um, a very welcome segment by the uh, senior leadership within Virgin Media, because at that time, and you may recall, this predates or certainly in line with pay-per-view television. So trying to extract payment at that time for people beyond uh, traditional broadcast television was the challenge at the time, but people paid. Uh, people paid for content and that was our first foray as a business and as a, a young executive into getting people to uh, customers, telecom customers to pay for premium television. Just a, a final point on that, Ed, would be, you may recall as a Welshman, even as an Irishman, you know, this was dominated by B Sky B at the time, um, Sky Movie, Sky Sports. Um, people had never thought heretofore that they would have paid for premium content, but they did. And then, excuse the pun again, that we jumped into bed with that because we delivered what customers wanted to watch. And it was it was high def TV. Um, that was the product. That was the technology it ran on. High def adults. There's an, an interesting concept for you. But it monetized well. Yeah, definitely. Albeit like tongue in cheek, Pete. I think you really show your experience as uh, a specialist in product and especially mobile there and understanding the product that you've got and getting it to those people and monetizing it as well. I myself have actually never been married and don't worry, I'm not actually proposing now. Um, <laughs> but the reason I mentioned marriage is that I imagine the most difficult part is actually making them stay after you've married them. Um, so once you've got a million subscribers like you've done for Etty Salah and Stars Play, how do you actually make them stay? Content. I mean, it's an overused expression, Ed. Of course. I mean, marketeers, I mean, product here, pr product executives will build wonderful product. They will. Technologists will build the product without the product people if they're let, but that's something that I'm very, very uh, cautious about because technology exists. Uh, technologists will expose all the upcoming technologies, will want different forms of technology. But I focus as a product executive, as a, as a product director, my focus is on the technology that delivers the content to the, to the customers. But there are two marriages within the business world which I focus on. One, Ed, is, is the content. A compelling content can exist in very few circumstances on poor technology. And I'll, Amazon Prime got away, I would say, for a long time with hugely rich content on a very, very substandard product because, of course, Amazon has a multitude of product offerings. But their prime offering, or in particular their video, was, I would guess, and I don't work for them, but I would guess a second thought. And the richness of their content enabled them to survive. But in the world we live in now, Ed, people will not suffer technology that is not high-functioning, intuitive, customer-centric. And there is a multitude of technologies. The, the OTT architecture is rich these days. Uh, there's a rush towards being drunk on features, when in reality, if you roll it back as a product person, it's about getting the simple things right. And again, I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but I have experienced, and I said this previously in conversations with, with executives known to you and known to me, that there's this wonderful, rich feature factory and pumping out features on an ongoing basis at the cost of a solid platform is the first mistake in the OTT world. And then I guess, secondly, is 
having rich content on a substandard OTT architecture, you have to have a rock solid uh, OTT infrastructure. Otherwise, the speed of exit is so rapid, it's multi-second and they're gone. And to think that your content will bring the customers back um, is, a, is a fool's paradise. You hold on to them by a continuing, and I say this with a wry smile, a conveyor belt of content. We live in a highly addicted world. And I guess the word addiction sometimes in our world is called binging, but it's creating an addiction. That, that, that's, it's a dopamine hit world that we live in. And um, the dropping of episodes is, is key to retention. Uh, getting the price point right is absolutely vital. It's about an intuitive experience. It's about keeping up with the global players in content delivery, of which we know there are an oligopoly, I guess, at the very, very top. So those three things, the retention of customers is, is, is earned. And I say that because you have to work very hard. But the, but the concept of launch and forget, Ed, in our industry is so rampant. From my own experience as a consumer uh, with streaming services, time and time again, I'm seeing huge brands that miss out core features in place of those shiny ones. And one example of that is being when I've seen brands build a TV app and they miss out a key part of the login process whereby they still use an on-screen keyboard to make you type in your details and log in. Ed, it's something I'm ridiculously passionate about and, and, and product managers that bring uh, a range of features to me, let's say in December for the following year, nobody ever wins a prize for single sign-on. Nobody ever wins a sign, uh, a prize rather for, for one-time password delivery. But that's what I celebrate as a product director, for example. You're absolutely correct. You do need to capture them before you can keep them. And on that point, um, I've heard that one of the keys to a healthy relationship is keeping the spark alive. Do you think the same thing is true for innovation in the product discipline? Absolutely. Particularly in the OTT world. I mean, it's entertainment. It's not banking. People have invested time or made a decision within their head that they wish to be entertained. And I go back not to over, over egg the pudding when it comes to dopamine. They're there for enjoyment purposes. If they've engaged with you as a platform and you're in the OTT space, specifically within sport or, or entertainment, they're there to better their day somewhat. And, and, and that's the reality. So keeping the spark alive, sure. I've never worked purely on the content side, as in the content acquisition. There are wonderful content acquisition people out there. But I do pay heed. Of course, the five global Hollywood content producers dominate across all OTT, be geographic specific. So you have your Disney's, of course, your Paramount's, Universal's, well known. They produce the vast majority of global world-class entertainment. But many OTT providers in the regions, and I say regions, I'm sitting in MENA, Dubai currently, have, have succeeded based on hyper-personalization. And I don't just mean in terms of recommendation engines, I, I mean in terms of content specific to their needs, either language, ethnicity, or even religious. So hyper-personalization at a content level is, is key. So just to finalize the answer to your question, Ed, is, is, it, worth, is it vital to keep the spark alive? Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's done through content. That's done through meaningful features. And the wonderful thing, Ed, about the technology we work in is that we can test technology. 
with test markets. So we don't have to build code that gets pushed to 100% of the user base and or is uh, the upcoming uh, uh, product roadmap. We can use the technologies that exist, particularly within the iOS domain provided by Apple, where you can test 1% of the market, garner the feedback. And I'm sure this conversation uh, later on will get to data and you'll hear me talking about data in a very different way. Being able to test features on a sample of your audience definitely helps avoid losing subscribers to a poor feature or update. And on your point about where you're based, Pete, if a UK-based company, uh, an OTT company that is, was looking to launch a streaming service in the Middle East, is there a lot to consider when compared to a Western audience? There's an over-focus on Dubai when it comes to the Middle East because it's shiny, it's, it's, it's visually sexy. Of course it is, it's a marketeer's dream. But Dubai is not the center of the universe. It's where the executives are based for sure in the Middle East. But the three significant markets in the Middle East, and perhaps four, but specifically three, of course, the United Arab Emirates, of which Dubai is the second city, Saudi Arabia, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and Egypt. In Egypt, you're looking at 128 million people, an often forgotten market. And people, people give uh, respect to Egypt as a developmental hub, but I have great respect for Egypt as a consumer opportunity. Saudi Arabia, well, well versed in, the, in terms of the news, its liberalization, its growth, the adoption of technology in Saudi Arabia is incredible. Their predisposition towards watching video, they don't have the same plethora of entertainment opportunities offline that perhaps we would be used to. So video is ever more important. How would I recommend or what would I say to an OTT platform looking to come into the region? Out of box doesn't work completely. Uh, it, would, it would be lovely to think that you could photocopy uh, the model used in Western markets and dump it into, and I say dump in a respectful way, or, or uh, reutilize the same model in the Middle East, not necessarily so. There are nuances, cultural nuances, behavioral nuances, and I'm not talking about ethnicity or religion because that's about content. But for example, a very small but very simple uh, simple aspect you need to get right in the Middle East is it's not about left to right English and right to left Arabic. It's designed first, but you must design with two things. A, the Arabic language as, as your uh, primary language. And secondly, with an Arab mindset. And that's not to say that you need to be Arab, for example, to do so, but you absolutely need to have design teams which understand the Arab mentality. There are a variety of colors, for example, that are not used in the Middle East. And I mean the Middle East, the size of the European Union, that big. And the Middle East is not one homogenous unit, often a mistake by marketeers and even product folks like me. Oh, the Middle East, MENA, North Africa. But we're running from Morocco as far as Pakistan, going from west to east and everywhere in between. And then I suppose, thirdly, and I would say this is very different, for example, to the European Union, where you'd have the average spend per customer within, you know, a tighter parameter. The average ARPU or average revenue per user in the Middle East uh, can range from less than $1 per user up to what we're collecting here for many of the offerings in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, where you're pushing 10, 11, 12 US dollars a month. And then I guess finally, Ed, just to mention it, if you're an OTT provider, a content provider, 
you're, you're building uh, an app platform that has a, a large embedded video component, which is where the activity levels are for the customers. You need to have very strong conversations with the existing telcos for two reasons. One, so that your app is robust and sits and functions on the telco networks, which are largely governmentally owned. And then secondly, for the collection of payments, Ed, because you're dealing in the region in general with the semi-banked, unbanked, or hyper-banked world, and they're not all the same. So we can talk all day, Ed, about wonderful content, wonderful platforms, wonderful customer experiences, and lovely marriages. But at the end of the day, when we go to dip our hand in their pocket, metaphorically, of course, and we can't extract a few dollars for the content they've watched, then what was the point in the first place? And that leads on, of course, to a conversation, I'm sure, which you'll have later about ad tech uh, supported content. It all comes back to understanding who the customer is, uh, whether that's building an innovative product or getting two separate businesses to a million subscribers as you have. You also mentioned the need for a conveyor belt of content but equally important, you mentioned the fact of getting simple features done really well. It's executive level um, mistakes when, when they're made in Dubai or London or New York or, or, or Ankara or other major global cities. When they think that customers require a conveyor belt of features, you're dealing with markets from Morocco, Algeria, uh, Egypt, uh, Kenya, the United Arab Emirates, these are not a hom homogenous group of people. They're also at a different stage of the uh, technological uh, evolution. Uh, they have different connectivity issues in the countries. They have different payment methodologies. So what they don't want is the same update, the same feature set pushed app agnostic to all users across the ecosystem in the mistaken belief that this is what customers want. Customers can't be, brought, can't be brought from zero to hero in all markets. And I would argue in very few markets, you'll also have a customer base, Ed, who don't know the 50 features that, for example, the Netflixes of this world currently have in life, because that would be over confusion. It's visually annoying. It's visually frustrating. And not all global icons are, un are understood by every customer. But when you're having to explain features you need to simplify and have your product at various stages so in effect you have a multitude of your same product in life at the same time and and there's a real technological challenge but i hand that over to the tech leadership team who have who have the ability to have a product at various stages of its release pushed to different markets and you can hold back things they can be in the development tank they can even be coded and unseen and that's the key to understanding. And that's where I'm in constant conversation with marketeers, particularly senior marketing leaders who understand the personas and surface the, those personas to me as a product leader so that I can deliver product for them. Uh, but, but, but Ed, it's funny because you mentioned earlier on in this podcast about the sign-on, you know, sign-on, registration, and getting them into their first month of payment is vital in the OTT space. And then the conversation begins. But, but you're right. Um, not everything that is intuitive in London is necessarily intuitive in Cairo. Uh, that, that's absolutely the case. 
It's interesting to me that you mentioned the need for having a product at various stages uh, to cater for the needs of the individual region. And the reason I do keep referencing relationships as well is because you yourself must have an inherent understanding of that relationship between customer and product to have gained a million subscribers twice over. So what was your approach to understanding the customers while you were at Stars Play, for example? Stars Play is one of my great examples. I loved working there. I loved being the Me Too as an industry up against a global giant like Netflix. I mean, what a challenge to have. What a challenge. Just to show you the growth in Stars Play, you don't need to say Stars Play anymore, a competitor of Netflix in the region. You say Stars Play and in itself, it's a brand uh, far exceeding in terms of active users. Uh, a million monthly active paying subscribers, delighted. How did I do it? Integrations with telecom operators. I always say this when asked this question, all subscribers are not born equal. That doesn't mean a million subscribers paying you 9.99 a month, because again, like I've spoken about previously, they come from different um, economic pots, so to speak. So integrations with the telecom operators, directs, uh, partnerships with the retailers. So that million, for example, is broken down Ed, into partnership with retailers, with direct customers via the web, with, with signups via app, and with strong telecom partnerships. And the great thing about partnerships with telecom operators is that they have an existing base, Ed. So it, it, it's not cheating. <laughs> it, it's, it's a lovely add-on service for telecom operators who essentially have become a utility. Nobody celebrates Wi-Fi speed anymore. Nobody celebrates the home telephone. Nobody talks about, you know, a range of, of, of non-premium linear channels. So for our final question, Pete, I'm just going to have a little fun by using one of uh, the characters from my favorite film series, Back to the Future. And I want you to imagine you yourself are Marty McFly. You've just been given the sports almanac, as you can essentially see into the future. But with one key difference here being that your almanac actually tells you what happens in the OTT industry over the next five years. And I want to know two things. Am I getting married? And perhaps less importantly, What's building success for streaming services over those years? Marty McFly, huh? Um, are you Edward Norton getting married? Um, you'll have to look into that yourself, my friend. I don't know your life personally. Great question, though. Uh, what's happening in the industry? Uh, consolidation, for certain. Um, there is uh, an overabundance of OTT uh, players, providers. Forget about the technology. Customers have... Too many, and you can call them OTT providers until until the cows come home, to use an Irish expression. But it's too many apps on the phone with a diverse set of, of logging credentials and apps themselves are getting lost in the app world. We tried to convince customers years ago that it was worth having OTT apps on their phone, device, and or any other associated hardware. We won that battle as an industry. But ironically, we're, we're in danger of cannibalizing. There are two things that are going to happen, Ed, in my humble opinion. And if I knew the answer to five years ago, uh, I'd, be, uh, I'd have my own very successful OTT in the market. Um, I think you'll see a consolidation for, for certain. Um, I think you'll see a price point adjustment. I think the price point is too high. And I also think there'll be, uh, there'll be, there'll be victims. 
I think some of the traditional broadcasters that published OTT offerings themselves, they did so as a protective defensive measure, won't last because their technology is outdated, they have outdated content, and their consumers in an OTT perspective are on more global, uh, sexier, better apps, so to speak. And I think then we're back to content. I think he who wins the content race, the technology will support that. So there are OTTs unnamed in this region who don't have the world's greatest OTT platforms, but have still held on to significant HBO content. And that's where they're winning the battle in terms of retention. Where the industry will go with AI, with data, um, don't know yet, Ed, to be honest with you. I don't have a crystal ball on that one. I can probably predict the next 24 months, victims, consolidation, price point readjustment, and the content wars will continue. Thanks so much for your time today, Pete. Uh, it's been great to discuss your career, especially in our industry, having built a million subscribers for two very large content providers. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Ed, nice to talk to you. Hope everything is good back in the UK. Have a great day. Thank you all for tuning in to today's episode of Beyond the Stream. Before we wrap up, I'd like to thank Peter Dennehy again for joining us to share his expertise and perspective on the future of the OTT industry. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to stay up to date with the latest insights in online video and a joke or two, why not sign up for our newsletter, Unboxed? You can find the link to subscribe in the description of this episode or on the SimpleStream LinkedIn profile. If you're a content owner that is looking for new ways to connect with customers through video, check out the suite of next-generation TV solutions and OTT services we provide for some of the biggest players in the broadcast, sports, and media industry by visiting our website, simplestream.com. And finally, please don't forget to give us a rating and review in your podcast directory of choice. It means a lot for a growing podcast like ours. Make sure you subscribe to be alerted when the next episode of Beyond the Stream will drop. Until next time. Thank <laughs> you.